Hey guys, welcome to the third installment of Physique Science. I'm your host, Lane Norton, with my co-host, Sohi Lee. Sohi, what's going on? Not too much. It's late at night over here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's only 9 p.m., right? It's late for me. I go to yeah. bed at 9.30. <laughs> oh, really? So, well, we're going to keep you up a little bit past your bedtime. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> See, we record these episodes ahead of time, so people may listen to the middle of the day or whatever. But, yeah, we're usually the only time that we can carve out to actually talk for an hour is, like, 10 or 11 p.m. at night or something like that. So this is actually early for a podcast, I think. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, today's podcast. But we, before we get into that, kind of some housekeeping things. Uh, we want to give some shout outs to our sponsors. We've picked up a few really good sponsors. You guys have heard some of the commercials, but we have uh, Quest Nutrition. Uh, many of you all are familiar with their protein bars. Uh, I'm a big fan. Sohi, I think are, are, you're a pretty big fan of Quest too, right? Oh yeah, I've got eight boxes, I think, <laughs> right now. Yeah, exactly. My, my cupboard is stocked for the apocalypse, <laughs> essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just a really... Uh, high quality protein bar that actually tastes really good. Uh, I love their. I'm a I'm a self proclaimed chocolate addict, so I love the the chocolate chip cookie dough and the mm-hmm. cookies and cream and the uh, chocolate chunk. Those are my favorites. Um, another great company, uh, MyOatmeal.com. Um, they have a pretty uh, cool and novel product in that you can kind of customize any oatmeal for your for for what you like <laughs> you know if you want any kind of flavoring or they, they claim there's like 22 billion combinations or something absurd um but i guess if you've got that many uh options to customize you can uh another sponsor that that's new that we want to give a shout out to is uh mindwire therapy so our friend alexandra is one of the uh, co-owners of that and they specialize in uh therapy for people with eating disorders and actually kind of in a niche they really focus on uh, competitors, which is pretty cool because I think, you know, a lot of times, so he, I, I think people are afraid to reach out for therapy because they're afraid that, hey, this person, I'm a competitor. This person isn't going to understand me no matter what I have to say. You know what I mean? Oh, you mean, you know, like the regular Yeah, for a regular therapist. They don't know, understand they're like, the Oh, they're just, oh, yeah. just going to tell me to stop competing, you know? Right. It's kind of like when you go to a doctor, if you've got like a, some inflammation somewhere, and they're like, oh, you say, oh, yeah, it bothers me when I squat. Oh, I'll stop squatting. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, why don't you just shove a dagger into my heart instead? You know, that would be easier. <laughs> so, yeah, we uh, a huge shout out to them. I think, you know, what they're doing uh, for competitors is a huge deal. Um, you know, I, it's, it's kind of a taboo subject. Nobody wants to talk about it, I, I think, except us <laughs> and maybe Brooke Erickson. But uh, everybody seems to like want to shove it under the rug. But a- as you know, I mean, I would estimate over 50% of competitors have some kind of abnormal relationship with food. So mm-hmm. I think that's a huge deal. And, and then our friend Paul Ravella uh, at, with Pro Physique. So Paul is at, was one of our approved coaches that we recommend to people. And uh, Paul's a fantastic guy, a great coach. He's actually uh, – I'll go ahead and give him a shout-out – He's actually, you know, he's been successful in coaching and, uh, and, uh, he's, he's made actually a really good living off it. He's able to quit his full-time job just from coaching, which, uh, is really cool. But he's actually, you know, one of those humble guys, he's actually going back to school at age like 38 to do a master's in, in uh, sports nutrition now, which I think is pretty cool. Um, you know, I think, so he, you posted something the other day about, uh, a book you were reading, uh, Brad Schoenfeld's book actually. And, yeah, uh, today. Uh, yeah. plan. Yeah. So, so, and you said you know you should always be learning, and uh, I think that's really important. You know, uh, even myself, I've gotten into kind of the niche of well, I have a PhD. You know, how much do I really need to 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 learn? And I always try to kind of push myself out of that comfort zone. You know, so I have like uh, different searches that I plugged into PubMed that send me updates every week. So I make myself go and read research. You know, even if I don't want mm-hmm. to. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of speak on that. Was that was that something you got into in terms of like making yourself read a book every now and then, or is that something you learn from like a professor, or is it just something oh, you make myself? Yourself do? Yeah. Well, once I graduated college, I realized that it's really easy to grow, just become complacent. Yep. You know, even if you're a full-time strength coach working sixty hours a week, not only are you exhausted, but maybe you think that you learn everything you need to know on the training floor. Um, 
But then I, you know, especially with what I do as a fitness entrepreneur, I realize I, have, I want to stay relevant. I have to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. With, I mean, with what's going on and keeping yeah. up with new studies and everything. And um, even just coming up with articles to write about, that stuff is important too. Um, but mostly it's more of an intellectual craving, I guess you could call it. Yeah. What did Einstein say? A wise a wise person realizes they know nothing or something like that? Yeah. I probably butchered the quote, but I think it's somewhere along those lines. Um, and uh, yeah, but that's very true. I remember when I got done with my PhD and I graduated and moved to Florida and all this sort of stuff and my business going well and then I was kind of like, man, now what? Because I've always pushed myself like in any endeavor I've done and now it's like there's nobody – like I had to push myself in my PhD, but I had I, – I had – pressure you know mm-hmm. now there's no pressure i'm making enough money my life is good like what am i going to do to push myself you know so uh you know i always tell people i have like i think I, there's like like people like the movies that are like the devil on the shoulder of the guy and then the angel you know mm-hmm. i always think of that as like my inner winner and my inner loser when somebody contacts me and it's like hey you do would you like to do a speech about this or would you like to do this project and i'm like my inner loser immediately is like oh, that sounds stressful I don't think so. Too much work. Yeah, yeah, that's too much work, bro. You can make plenty of money just sitting there on your computer and, and working with people. And then my inner winner is like, shut the hell up. You need to go do this. <laughs> you yeah. need to go do this because otherwise you're just going to drift into, like you said, irrelevancy. And the other thing is research is always evolving. You know, yes. uh, people, I mean, what we believe now, or not what we believe, but what the data says now may be different depending on our understanding of that data as it evolves. Um you know, the theories are always changing. And uh, I, I, I forget who t- said this, but somebody said, you know, because um, I was talking about how some people will go back and look at articles I wrote 10 years ago and say, Lane, you're a hypocrite. You recommend fasted <laughs> cardio here. Right. And I'm like, well, I at that time, I thought it was the best option, you know, but I evolved my thinking. And somebody said, well, uh, they said, well, I'd want somebody who's always evolving their thinking. In fact, if I if somebody's always saying the same things and never evolving the way they think, um, that would be a red flag. You know, uh, if you're still saying the same things five years from now, you're probably not keeping up with current with research. Um, so we're, we're always trying to evolve our knowledge. And, uh, like I'll tell people when I give up to, when I get up to give seminars, uh, I will say, the first thing I'll say is, Hey, this is just my best interpretation of the data that's out there. And I'm, I probably am going to be wrong on some stuff, but I'm always going to try and get it as right as I possibly can. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I think that's a problem, uh, especially in the fitness industry, and I'm sure in many other industries as well, is the guru the movement. <laughs> online coaches saying, well, this is the way it's always been done. Therefore, these new theories are not true. They can't be true because I, I feel like they're being so close-minded and not willing to look at new evidence, even if it's valid and sound evidence. Yeah. The, 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 um, and, the world is flat, bro. I can, yeah. I can it, look, it's yeah. right out there. I can see it. It works for me, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it makes it difficult, but uh, frustrating. But I think, I think we're on to something here. Yeah, well, and that's, that's the thing. And, and there's a, there's like a whole movement uh, now as a, a kind of a, a subgroup of the fitness industry that's actually calling for, hey, where's this evidence? Where's your evidence? Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're, you're claiming this. Where's your evidence? Um, and, you know, I tell people, like, look, it's okay to, to throw a hypothesis or, or something that doesn't necessarily have hard-backed evidence out there, but, but be honest when you're doing it, you know? I'll go out on a limb here and there. I mean, people will ask me questions. I'll say, well, I don't know the answer, but I'll, I'll speculate, you know? So at least at least qualify it by saying, you know, you're speculating. But most people out there just say, no, this is it. I'm uh, a deity and I know exactly what's going on with every metabolic process in your body. You know, it's right. And uh, that's what we're fighting against. So on that note, um, some of you know, you've heard the commercial for the BioLane Foundation. Uh, really, um, what we're trying to do with that is raise research money for the, for the next generation of scientists. Um, that, that are going to be involved in fitness and, and body composition and, and that sort of research. So research that's going to benefit the fitness and, and competitive industry, uh, which is a real small subgroup, but is important to us. Uh, and so actually our guest today, I'm super excited about our guest is Eric Trexler. And 
he his lab or not his lab but uh he is a student doing his phd i believe under abby smith ryan dr abby smith ryan who is actually a client of mine uh getting ready for some uh bikini and figure shows and uh eric wrote the proposal the the it got accepted for the first ever grant from the bio lane foundation so uh, and it, it was really very, very impressive proposal. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and get him on, meet him, talk to him about what he's interested research wise, how he got into this and uh, hopefully learn a lot. So you guys were taking a break, but we'll be coming right back. Hey guys, Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I can eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. Myoatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right, 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds, and you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend, and they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want. And the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com and check out some of the blends that have already been made. Or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. Hey, guys. One of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. And 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab, and click on BioLane Foundation, and you can put your donation in through there. Or, if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations. We're back with Physique Science Radio. I'm your host, Lane Norton, my co-host, Sohee Lee, and our guest today is Eric Trexler, whose uh, proposal was the first ever accepted proposal by the BioLane Foundation uh, in Dr. Abby Smith Ryan's lab, uh, so they're, they're going to be getting a grant for research. And uh, Eric, before we start talking about your research, will you just tell us kind of uh, how you got into uh, doing research and uh, ended up in Abby's lab? Yeah, so um, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's great to, uh, to be on the podcast. Um, I kind of got into weightlifting and dieting as an athlete in high school. So I did um, football, baseball, and wrestling in high school. Um, and then just kind of stuck with weightlifting, and it was really – my involvement in powerlifting and bodybuilding that brought me toward the research. Um, so when I was looking at graduate programs, I had done some undergrad research, but I wanted to find a program where I could really investigate the questions that were really meaningful to me. And um, as you know from interacting with Dr. Smith Ryan, um, you know the stuff that she researches is right up my alley as a strength and physique athlete, um, and it, it just felt like a good fit. Very cool. Now, tell us a little bit about your proposal. So, what, what? So, you really uh, impressed the uh, the board uh, with your proposal. So, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what you actually want to do with the grant money, and what you're hoping to find out. Um, yeah. So, first of all, I really appreciate that. Um, obviously, a lot of work went into the proposal, but 
you know, if you're going to ask for um, for grant money for funding for research, you know, you really have to present a problem that or a, a question that needs answered. And I felt as a bodybuilder reading the relevant literature, there there's some information out there in bodybuilding contest preparation. Um, there could always be more, but you know, some of that is out there. But I felt the one thing that's overlooked currently is the post-competition period. Um, as a bodybuilder myself, I think that um, some crazy things can happen after a show. Hmm. And you know, I think prep is kind of boring, but the really interesting thing is after the show um, uh -huh. because there's so much variation in how people approach that period and the physiological ramifications of, of those approaches. Um, so that was really the, the basis of the proposal was to figure out um, from a body composition perspective, uh, from a metabolic perspective, and looking at some, some key hormones, you know, what exactly is going on after, the, after this competition occurs. Very cool. Um, yeah. And, and so what are some of the measurements you, you want to take? I mean, you, you, you listed quite a few of them in your, in your proposal. Um, so what are some of the measures you're going to look at and what time points are you going to look at? Yeah. So, um, w for the measures, uh, we're going to look, like I said, at body composition, but one thing that I really liked with Dr. Smith Ryan's lab, one of the things that drew me to it was that they, she knows body comp. So we don't just, we don't just want to spit out a single value based on a single measurement and say that this one number describes your body composition. So we want to look at not just, you know, a body fat percentage, but we want to look at what is this weight that has been added after a show? Is this fat? Is this lean mass? Is this fluid, you know, retention of fluid? Because you hear that a lot. And I think it'll be a mixture of everything, but it'll be really cool to quantify exactly how that weight's distributed. Um, we want to look at metabolic rate as well, um, using some cool technology to do that. And then, you know, some key hormones that are related to metabolic rate and anabolic and catabolic responses. Um, for the time points, we want to get a baseline measurement prior to the show, you know, ideally in that week leading up to the show before they really start, you know, some people tend to ramp up calories toward the end of that week. So we'd like to get something early to midweek of the show. Mm. Um, we'd like to get something immediate, you know, the day after the show. You know, a lot of people eat a lot of food the day of the show and mm -hmm. then go out that night and, and really go wild. Um, so I, I think we could get some cool data the day after the show. And then we want to check back in with these guys, you know, a good four to six weeks after the show and see, you know, we want to give their time to be appreciable changes. But, you know, get in there quick enough to really analyze that post-show window. So, you know, about four to six weeks there, we want to see what kind of changes are taking place. So are you, are you looking to study just strictly bodybuilders or are you looking also at bikini and figure competitors and fitness competitors? Yeah, so um, I'm not sure if, if I said bodybuilders. Sometimes I accidentally use that as just kind of an umbrella term. Right. But what we're looking at is physique athletes. So we're, we're going to be looking so, so at – So all of them. Yeah, we're going to be looking at a mixture of probably bodybuilders and figure competitors. Um, I don't know if we will do bikini um, because we want to get – you know, bodybuilding and figure tend to demand that that really low body fat. Mm. And I think that's going to reveal some more interesting responses in the post-show period. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, and what we're talking about is, and Eric, you've competed, so maybe you can speak to your own personal experience. I know uh, Abby, Dr. Smith-Ryan, got, got interested in this after her own experience with competition in terms of just had a lot of difficulty uh, dropping body fat, even with very low calories and high cardio. And, um, uh, you know, people, because you mentioned uh, some people say, well, you know, gained water or whatever it is. Um, well, and I always say, well, water doesn't stick around for six months. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if, you know, the if, if in one, you know, cheat see, uh, what I'm interested in, and I was talking to Sophie about this earlier, is, is kind of who maintains a leaner body fat and what characteristics do they have in common and who puts on a lot of body fat and what characteristics do they have in common? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the cool things about the, the project that was proposed is that we're, we're going to have a lot of data from which we can really poke around and try to make some interesting connections and, and hopefully find some really cool findings with it. What is, what is your hypothesis? Um, or do you not have one yet? I mean, 
I can speak from personal experience. Um, you know, I, I think there is going to be a lot of variation between individuals with, with how they approach that post-show period. Um, you know, there's a number of variables, so there's obviously a number of hypotheses along with those. Um, but I am excited to see, um, you know, in, in that one day after the show, you know, how much of this weight that we see gained. You know, you always hear people say, well, how much how much fat can you really gain from a single meal? <laughs> so it, it'll just be great to really, instead of speculating, let's let's quantify it with some, you know, some pretty reliable um, technologies. Let's say, okay, how much of this is actually fluid retention? And not only that, but where is this fluid being stored? Mm. Is it within the cell or outside of the cell? So, um, you know, each individual variable has its own accompanying hypothesis, but you know, as a as an overall sense, I can definitely say that I'm just excited to kind of have the data in hand, and uh, I think it's going to tell a really cool story. That's that's really cool. I, I always notice a great uh, great scientists they always, they always use that story word. You know that the data should. Uh, Dr. Lehman was always emphasizing to me. He said, "Oh, that data is very interesting, but how are you going to tell the story?" And I'm like, "Story? What's he talking about? It's just data." You know, and then I kind of learned to appreciate that a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I, obviously my, my interest is, you know, I, I come from a protein metabolism background, but what I really got interested in as a coach was, you know, and Eric, uh, we, we collaborated a little bit on, on a paper for the Journal of International Society of Sports Nutrition uh, on metabolic adaptation um, because I became interested in this. Uh, what I really started noticing was, was two things. Um, this is about five years ago. I noticed that I would have people, uh, both, both of these groups would always be very good clients and very, would, you know, have good adherence. Uh, but people who worked with me year round, uh, they were, I was having a significantly easier time getting them prepped for shows than people who would just work with me for a prep and go off and kind of do their own thing in the off season. And what, what I noticed was people who kind of went off and did their own thing, basically, the way they would do things is blow out after shows in terms of putting on a lot of body fat really quick. And then they would kind of intermittently try to diet down throughout the year <laughs> with varying levels of success. And then eventually would come to me and, and would want to start dieting down. And they were at a significantly lower calorie level than, than people who I'd been working with. And I didn't even recall, you know, kind of reverse dieting at the time, which we'll get into that later. But I was just, I, you know, if somebody was kind of just holding steady or, or not gaining anything, I was like, okay, well we can add in a few more calories, you know? So, I would have people, uh, you know, up to a much higher calorie range, and I just noticed that when you had kind of that higher calorie level to start out with, if all other things were equal, they were just having an easy, easier time getting in shape. So I always, I, one of the things I tell people, and, and then I started to kind of actually look at data, and I tell people, if you look at the, the data for body fat loss, for dieting, it is grim. I mean, it basically says that you are have a 95% chance of failing in a diet in terms of, if you even if you lose weight, you're just going to put it back on, and uh, and actually a lot of people who put it back on uh, put back on more than they lost. So uh, obviously you got kind of interested in that too. Was that from Abby's experience, or was that just kind of your own interest in that uh, in that uh, in that uh, metabolic uh, pathway? Um, honestly, that was really from my. I mean, obviously we we talked about the idea of writing the paper, but I actually showed up to North Carolina for the, the grad program one week after a, a, a string of bodybuilding competitions. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was going through a very similar process of, you know, the post-show period and, you know, having a ridiculous appetite, yeah. um, trying to find strategies where I can, you know, make sure that I'm kind of attenuating that fat gain because, you know, the thing that we see with with body, you know, the rapid fat gain, you know, the, the problem that arises that we, is that we have this accretion of fat tissue, but it's tissue that we're adding that's not very metabolically demanding. Right. So putting on all this tissue and it's not really doing much for us in terms of energy expenditure on the other end. And, you know, that's compounded, the issue is compounded by the fact that once we, you know, if we, hopefully we're not adding a ton of new fat cells, but when we do, then we try to lose that weight and now these are, you know, these cells are active endocrine cells that are putting out signals. Um, so I just really became intrigued by the whole process of the ridiculous hyperphagia, you know, the crazy appetite after the show and um, just the, 
the rapid changes that occur after a show and looking at how to approach that in, in the best way and what was predisposing all of these these changes. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things I'm, I am I was interested in, you kind of mentioned it in passing, and we'll touch on it a little more, uh, is, is fat cell hyperplasia. Um, and this was something I, I didn't really know about until I, start, I read that uh, paper by uh, McLean, which is like, I don't want to make the, the, the clay, but it's like, it, it honestly is one of the best papers I've ever read on anything. Um, and, and they talked about how uh, if you regain body fat very rapidly in a post-diet period, you can actually not only you know increase the size of your fat cells, but actually increase your number of fat cells. And that could lead to a higher body fat set point. And I, I have talked to people anecdotally who have said, you know, I, I was leaner before I ever started trying to diet. And now that I've been through several dieting cycles, I hold more body fat in the off season. Yeah, and, and that's something that I've, I've found myself too. I mean, I was naturally fairly lean, um, but after a wrestling career and a few, um, a few different seasons of bodybuilding competition without really a, addressing the post-competition period appropriately, um, yeah, I, I definitely have seen a little bit of that. Have either of you found, uh, because I know I have my own personal experience plus my experience with uh, my my clients as well, um, and I know Eric, you said you're doing a study on this too, so we don't maybe don't have the scientific evidence just yet. But from you know anecdotally, have you found that you or your clients experience a change in not just body comp because we know that you know the body the fat to muscle gain ratio is heavily shifted in favor of fat from just from the studies that we've read, but change body shape, fat distribution changes. Does that happen? You know, I, I can speak from my personal experience. I've noticed that every time I, I cut down for, for bodybuilding shows, I regain the fat differently. Um, so for my first show, um, you know, my abs were looking good quite a distance out from the show, but my legs held fat all the way into the show. Um, the next time I competed, my legs were lean way out, and I couldn't get my, my abs to lean out. So I, I have noticed that my body fat does seem to kind of distribute differently with each show, but I, I have, you know, there's no research that, that I'm aware of behind you know, that. So. Actually, there was a study that just came out, and I can't remember who did it, but they actually showed just that. They showed that you actually preferentially regain lean tissue in your extremities versus your your trunk muscles when you uh regain fat rapidly uh post diet and their kind of uh hypothesis uh was that um trunk uh muscle may be more metabolically active than kind of the the extremity muscle and so that was kind of a, a hypothesis they had for for some of that weight regain but yeah they that i i've i've i have noticed that and uh um i i've seen that with clients as well and I mean, that, that's fantastic that you bring that up because that's exactly the encouraging thing about research is that, you know, you have people who find these, um, these observations kind of in the trenches. You know, it starts as bro science and then, you know, you do see research eventually come out that kind of validates that. So that's really cool. So do you have a yeah. point you want to make? Well, I was just going to ask about that study. Was that for both females and male, like both men and women? <sighs> Man, I, I think it was men. I think actually, I think it was men and women. You know, I, I feel like it would women. be the case for women as well because I feel yeah. like now that I think about it, anytime I have a client who comes to me who has a history of really, really severe yo-yo dieting, they're very bottom heavy. They're very pear shaped, very heavily. Yeah, it's definitely different for women too, and I think part of that's just hormonal profile, beta receptors, all that stuff plays yeah. into it in terms of you know where your body fat's going to be preferentially distributed. Um, but yeah, I have seen it do funky things to people's distribution, just really, really strange things. And I mean, like I said, when you get, when you get that lean and, and then you regain it very rapidly, it just, it, it makes weird, weird, uh, things. I mean, you know, you're, you got to think about it from this perspective. Um, you know, you spend, if you're, if you're dieting down the Minnesota starvation experiment basically showed us that whatever time you spend in a deficit, and however severe that deficit is, your recovery time is going to be proportional to that. So if you've restricted yourself, you know, like so, so people will get, you know, get the wrong idea. They'll say, oh, my God, Lane, am I going to get metabolic damage from a two-week mini cut? 
It's like, no, <laughs> no, that's just a blip on the radar. You know? I, remember, I remember the flurry of emails we got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After you put out that <laughs> metabolic damage video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, 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 looking back, I wish I hadn't used the word damage. It was just the popular term, you know, at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, people, people don't understand, you know, it's proportionate to, to, you know, this is more for people who have gone through yo-yo dieting for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Eric, uh, I sent you that Delu paper and I'm sure you read through it, uh, basically showing that, you know, the number of times you diet in your life is directly proportional to how much body fat you're going to gain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty grim research. I mean, the research that's out there basically says if you don't want to be fat, uh, just never get fat in the first place. Um, so actually, I think I want to take a break on that, Mark, because um, I think we're going to get into a little bit of discussion on uh, reverse dieting because, yes. uh, Eric, you discussed it in your in your paper uh, about kind of a, hypoth you know, a, hy a hypothetical way to possibly recover from a diet but limit body fat gain. Right. So. When we come back, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit. We're going to go to uh, some commercials from our sponsors. We'll be coming right back. You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohee Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us, read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohee's website at soheefit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future. We're back with Physique Science Radio uh, and having a really interesting discussion with uh, Eric Trexler here, our guest. Um, and, and Eric, we, we, we kind of are, are getting to the point where we were talking about, um, you know, these things that happen post-competition, but it's, not, it's really not just post-competition. Um, if you think about the, the average way, if you think about the way the average person diets, it's usually a yo-yo diet. It's, I'm going to lose 10 pounds for summer. So they lose 10 pounds, and then once they're done, they go back to eating the way they were before, and they gain, you know, sometimes 10 or 15 or 20 pounds back. Um, so that you see this progression. I think I think the data is of people who diet, 95% uh, put back on all the weight they lost, and then one half to one, or I'm sorry, one third to two thirds actually add more. So you're getting this what's called body fat overshooting effect. And I, I know as a competitor, I've done that. Um, I think you, you, you would say you've done that, at least from, from listening to what you were saying. Um, I know a lot of competitors who, who have done that. And so we talk about, okay, well, what can we do to kind of minimize this? Um, and I, so we've, you know, you proposed, and I've talked about before, uh, reverse dieting, kind of adding in calories slowly over time to hopefully recover metabolic rate over time, but limit body fat gain. And uh, now it's interesting because I had a I was talking to somebody the other day and they, they brought up a, a kind of um, a person who's well known in the fitness industry says, well, you really should just you recover your metabolic rate if you just go back up to maintenance calories. And uh, and their 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 supposition was that, well, you, you'll yeah, you'll gain some body fat, but you'll 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 recover. And I don't dispute that, but I see I've seen a lot of people do that and still overshoot their body fat. And my my thing I always say is, if it was really your maintenance, you wouldn't gain body fat, yeah. <laughs> right? Like so so if you're if you're maintaining your body weight on fifteen hundred, regardless of what a calculator online says, your maintenance is not twenty five hundred. So would you mind talking about reverse dieting a little bit in terms of how you proposed it in the paper, and have you utilized that with any athletes or yourself, and any observations on that? Yeah, so obviously the review paper was about metabolic adaptation and you know there's no need to go through every single facet of that paper. Right. But, you know, throughout a diet whether it's for a competition or just for general weight loss, you know, we see these adaptations in place that basically predispose us to regaining fat after the diet. Well, let's let's before uh, let's let's uh let's back up for one second. Let's why don't okay. you talk about some of the adaptations because I think that'd be really interesting for our listeners who maybe haven't heard of this stuff before. Yeah, so what we see is I, I kind of broke it down in the paper in general into kind of three categories where we're talking about adaptations in the hormonal profile, adaptations in um, energy efficiency, and then adaptations in just overall metabolic rate. And so what we see is that throughout a diet, and obviously it depends on how you diet, you know, the methodology that you employ on your diet and how severe that diet is, but we do see um, increased energy efficiency where we can produce more ATP for a given energy expenditure. 
um, you know, we see changes in hormones that um, we would look at, you know, unfavorably for body composition and also that are tied to increases in hunger and reduced me metabolic rate. And then, you know, given those adaptations, you know, obviously we do see a reduction in metabolic rate and it's a pretty comprehensive reduction. So it's, you know, reduced energy expenditure at rest during exercise, you know, with less feeding, there's obviously less thermic effect from the diet. So it's a pretty comprehensive reduction in energy expenditure um, and an increase in hormones that really, you know, we, we correlate with an increased urge to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one of the things that you see post, uh, you talked about the hyperphagia post, uh, post diet, uh, what you'll hear a lot of people is they'll say, well, I, I, I am more hungry after I finish dieting than I was during the diet. And also, um, that they will get back to their original body fat and still be hungry. And that, that, that may be part of the, the kind of hyperphagia fat cells. If you're resetting your body fat set point, um, but do you have any ideas? And so he, I'll, I'll actually want to get your input. Um, I, I actually think that kind of the, the hunger immediately post uh, diet may be a psychological thing as well, because now you don't have that you don't have that competition or that goal staring you in the face, and you're kind of out in the ether. Yeah, I mean, I would I would absolutely agree with that because um, you know you could talk to me. The last show I did, my diet got low. You know, we like to say like, oh, eat as many calories as you can, but at a certain point, they got to get low yeah. if you're trying to get really lean. Um, so yeah, I, you know, a week before my show, I wasn't hungry for food. I was hungry to go win a show. Yeah. You know, that's what I wanted. Right, because uh, you're focused. Exactly. But then a week after a show, you start thinking, well, I'm not going to be on stage for another, you know, two years in my case at the bare minimum. Um and so even at the same caloric intake and relatively same body fat, the hunger was just through the roof. And so there must be – my physiology didn't change within two weeks. So, yeah, there, there must be a psychological component. And I hmm. – you know, within that proposal uh, for the BioLane grant, um, we, we absolutely will, you know, try to evaluate that psychological state. Yeah, so yeah, I'd like to get that's, your thoughts on that yeah, too. Yeah, uh, that's really cool. Because I think when it comes to fat loss and dieting, the psych psychological aspect tends to get so overlooked. Absolutely. So when, you know, when it comes to diets, I don't just look at – and actually it's interesting because I'm learning more and more uh, with, my, with my clients is that you know, the more I work with them, the more I realize that the dieting is not actually about the food. It's about their mindset. Mm. and what they have going on in their heads. So it's not just how you diet, it's what is your attitude about the diet and what do you believe about your diet. You know, when I first dieted uh, with a coach back, uh, I think it was six years ago, I, I had no expectations for what to do once we were done with the fat loss phase. So in my mm. mind, I thought, you know, as soon as I'm done with this diet, oh, I can do whatever I want. And that's what people tend to think, I feel yes. like. They say, oh, I just only have to do this uh, very temporarily, and as soon as I reach my goal weight or my goal look, I can go back to what I was doing before. And what happened in your case? Uh, I okay, I put on 25 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and mind you, I'm five two. I put on 25 <laughs> pounds in the course of about um, six months. Yeah, yeah. And and that's very was, difficult psychologically as oh well. Oh my god, to deal it was with. mortifying. I was in, I was a freshman in college. I became depressed. I literally wore sweatpants every single day. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners can probably relate to that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I've had that too, where it's like, man, I, I worked so hard to get this. There's no way it can go away this fast, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, and it does. It's it's just like those adaptations are very very powerful. And uh, it's not just you know psychologically. I think it's in the Eric. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the arcuate nucleus is nucle nuclei in the brain is one of the the places where it kind of integrates um, satiety signals. And there's actually there's actually some research that shows that you may actually have like CCK in your bloodstream or, or something that's kind of a satiety signal. Like you eat a meal, and your brain actually becomes resistant to those signals in the post diet mm -hmm. period. Um, so it's almost like you're not even getting the signals that you should get to tell you to stop eating because CCK basically its purpose is to for the session of the meal. It's, it says okay, you're full. Stop. 
Yeah, and I mean, there, there's so much interesting research on those satiety signals, and and then there's a whole different can of worms when you talk about. I, I've heard it in in research. I've heard them use the term hedonic eating, where mm. we're not even eating at a certain point because we're not satiated. But it, it's a oh. whole different ballgame. So there's so many aspects to look at. You can look at peripheral metabolic adaptations. You know, adaptations with the mitochondria satiety signals, um, the whole psychological perspective. And, and that's why this whole post-competition period or post-diet period is so intriguing is because there's so much that you could look at. Yeah, I really liked what uh, McLean said in his paper. And he said, he said something to the effect of um, if, you, if, you basically, um, if you basically, if you diet too harshly, you activate your body's self-defense system mm -hmm. and that this self-defense system is comprehensive, redundant, and very, very focused on getting you back to your body, to your original body fat. So that's why you brought up, um, you know, kind of dieting on as many calories as you can. I always tell people, hey, look, um, that, that is a big part of, part of preventing the post-comp blowout is not going to extremes in the first place, right? Now, as you, as you pointed out, uh, to get lean enough, you're, you're going to have to get low, now that low is relative, right? So I have, I've had some people in the off season who can maintain their body weight on like 700 grams of carbs a day <laughs> and they may have to get down to 200. Now 200 for me is pretty high to, to get that lean, right? And probably for you, you guys too. Like if we could diet on 200 grams of carbs and get shredded, we'd be super happy. <laughs> yeah. um, but for them, they still felt it because it's kind of the relative change. You right. know what I mean? Um, but that I always tell people, look, you want to diet on as many calories as you possibly can, because that those adaptations are going to happen no matter what. But they're going to be the research data tends to show that they're going to be proportionate to how uh, strict or how uh, restrictive your diet was. Um, and so he, you brought a great uh, a great point about uh, that psychology is very overlooked. And I used to be kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm a biochemist and then a, a nutritional science. So I kind of looked at it as like people just don't have the willpower. They just need more willpower. They just need more willpower. And then I, I kind of came away from that and, and under, started to understand what willpower actually was. And that no, like when you diet, you actually want to diet in a way that requires the minimum amount of willpower. Right. Because, you want to preserve your willpower. Right. Because you, you, you talked about this, that you can't pick from where your willpower comes from. It's not like you have willpower for your job and willpower for your marriage and willpower for your kids and willpower for your diet and willpower for your – it all comes from the same place. Right. So when do people tend to have really big problems when they're dieting? It's when they get stressed, right? And their willpower goes. And if they have something that requires an enormous amount of willpower, um, it, they'll likely just say screw it. So, right, and, and you find that's happening normally in the evenings when willpower is lowest. Yes, absolutely. Um, so anyway, I, we and that gets into the whole flexible dieting versus uh, versus. Right. Uh, we don't want to go rehash that because we did that last episode. Um, but anyways, uh, just kind of circling back. Eric, talk to us about you know you proposed reverse dieting as a way to possibly. Kind of, and the way I've described it is, is kind of I think we're on the same page. I tell people like, look, the purpose is, is not one, not to lose body fat. Okay, Sometimes it happens for certain people. Um, and the purpose is not necessarily to prevent body fat gain. You may gain some body fat. But the purpose is to recover from the diet while minimizing body fat regain. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, yeah. And so the general idea there – Unfortunately, whenever you put forth an idea, there will be misinterpretations and unintended consequences. Yep. So um, you make a video about metabolic adaptation or metabolic damage, and people think if they remove five carbs from their diet, they're going to be <laughs> obese the rest of their life. <laughs> yes. So um, you know, so the idea is that we don't want to maintain competition-level body fat forever. It's not realistic, and it's not healthy if you're at a true competition body fat. So the idea is, you know, as these adaptations occur with dieting, we'd like to see those gradually subside and get back to a, you know, a baseline metabolic level. And so what we want to do in that post-competition period, in my opinion, is gradually reintroduce calories instead of just jumping to a huge surplus so that as we kind of return to a normal, more comfortable um, metabolic profile, um, 
and really body fat, we are going to gain some body fat, but we don't want to gain it all really rapidly and overshoot body fat. That, that's yes. just the general idea there. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with, you know, the possible possibility of body fat hyperplasia. You, you know, yeah. I always tell people like, look, if you if if the, the issue is not necessarily the low calories and the issue isn't necessarily the body fat regain, it's how people kind of yo-yo them together. Right. So they will diet really restrictively. They'll get down to lean body fat and then they they will you know, add in calories very quickly and regain it very quick. But, you know, I mean, and you know this, Eric, like, um, if you, if you, let's say you lost 30 pounds. Uh, so he, you said you put, you put 25 on in six months, but I've seen people put 30 pounds on in a few weeks and not water. At least I don't think so because water doesn't stick around for, for a year. Yeah. You know what I, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, it just speaks to how powerful these adaptations are. And so, but the thing is, is your, your metabolic rate, regardless of how fast you're stuffing calories down is not going to be recovered in that time period. Um, it's going to take longer, mm-hmm. but you know, kind of like my experience, I, I had had some experience with reverse dieting clients and I'd noticed, like, I actually do have a few people who were able to maintain pretty much stage lean, uh, for a long period of time. I have a guy right now, Rasmus, um, he's up to, uh, 400 gram, 410 grams of carbs a day and 85 grams of fat. And he could walk on stage tomorrow. Um, now that being said, he doesn't feel like a million bucks all the time. Like he feels pretty good because his calories are relatively high. But you know, if he has a day where like he told me, he's like, you know, I went out to the zoo with my family and about two hours into it, I was really feeling it, you know, cause he's teetering right in that precipice of such a low body fat. So you're um, saying, sorry, just for clarification, you're saying even though he's eating a lot, just his body fat level is, is his is making him feel like crap. Yeah, sometimes. Now, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Eric kind of touched on this uh, in the paper, but it's not people. So people think that, um, you know, your body is sensing just your body fat level or just your calorie intake. And the, the fact of the matter is, it's, it's sensing both. So like leptin, which is kind of your master control hormone for for fat loss, um, leptin, your leptin output is not only, uh, controlled by what your body fat levels are. Um, but it's also controlled by the calorie, by the uh, calorie flux across the cell. So, um, yeah. So if you, if you have like a lower, if you're like really lean and you have a lower calorie day after a few higher calorie, I, I've even noticed this when I was getting ready for nationals, cause I'm sitting pretty lean right now. I'm about two Oh five. Um, I feel pretty good. I can go and train for three hours because I'm getting like 400 grams of carbs on my training days. But if I have a day where I'm like not doing as much activity, I'm a little bit lower, like just one day at like 150 grams of carbs, I I feel it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different variables. Um, but I will notice uh, circling back around, Eric, I noticed with myself. Uh, so after my last show, I I was like, okay, I'm going to reverse diet and I'm gonna stay really lean. And that didn't happen. Like I gained about a half pound, uh, like a quarter to a half pound a week, pretty steady. And uh, so six months in, I was like, man, I'm really kind of disappointed because I thought I was going to, you know, stay close to stage weight. But I went back and reanalyzed kind of the data afterwards and objectively. And I said, you know what? Six months after that show, I was still leaner than six months after my previous show. And my calories had gotten back up to a normal level. Mm -hmm. So that was a win. You know what I mean? Because if I needed to then diet down from there, uh, I'd been in a better place. And actually, I've kind of done some mini cuts where I've, and this is just in of one, obviously, but I've done some mini cuts here and there over the last few years. Each time the cut gets easier and each time I respond better to reverse dieting. And that's what I observe with people I'm working with is the more times they go through that cycle, the better they tend to get. Uh, I don't know. Have you observed that, Sohi? Um, I haven't been through multiple cycles with enough clients yet. Yeah. Uh, to know, but I, I assume that would be the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, um, I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but I'm the director of research and education for a company called Innovate Elite Performance. So mm. um, yeah, they Innovate. work with a lot of. Just give them a shout out. They're on our list of approved coaches. We like them. Yeah. So, you know, I don't work with clients individually, but I work with the coaches a lot, interact with them. And I can tell you that they recommend reverse dieting. Um, you know, and it, again, the point is not to maintain, you know, stage level body fat, 
But even when they're letting a client go and their client's ending, you know, their their services and going into like a long off season, even though they're not working with them, they still just say, could you please just try to do good with this reverse diet? Because it's going to make my job easier when you come back. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. you do see it time and time again. And it's not, you know, they're not just trying to hang on to a client for three more months. They'll say, yeah, go away. But <laughs> please just try to limit the damage here so that we're not fighting uphill the next time we do a show. It's funny how all the good coaches kind of have the same mentality when it comes to, you know what I mean? Like, You're responsible. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, that's exactly what I've said to people, Eric. Um, yeah, because I tell people, I'm like, look, if you come back to me and you're a mess, um, I'm going to tell you not to do a show. You know what I mean? Like, uh, we're going to have to spend more time recovering. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, obviously, like you said, when you propose an idea, you're going to get a lot of flack for it. And you're going to have people misinterpreting that. And uh, I've gotten, you know, flack for, for my thoughts on reverse dieting. And that's fine. Uh, because there really there isn't really any data out there on it, which is why we need some data and why we're, we want to sponsor mm -hmm. this research. Um, but the, I, I was talking to Slowy so, earlier, um, uh, and I, I said, you know what, um, what's your alternative, right? So yeah. your, your alternative is, okay, I'm just going to go eat whatever. Well, we know how that ends, right? Well, Lane, I think we both know that after a show, your body is primed for anabolic. <laughs> you you got to get as much calories as you can. Yes. I, okay. So that's, that's a very popular statement amongst the fitness community that you are primed for anabolism. And oh that is God. absolutely 100% true. Your fat cells are anabolic <laughs> as hell. They are ready to get huge. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell people. And actually, like Eric, you know from that, um, I think it was the Delu paper, uh, they showed that your body fat comes up more rapidly than your lean body mass does. That it takes longer for your lean body mass to normalize. Oh yeah. Yeah, and Wire did as well. The paper in two thousand. Yeah. Same thing. So so much for so much for that theory. Uh, I think that was just somebody's excuse way back in the day for them to go out and eat whatever the hell they wanted. <laughs> it, it's really convenient. It makes you feel good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, guys, and we're gonna come back and wrap this up. Uh, but really phenomenal discussion. So I'm looking forward to a little bit more time with our guest here. Uh, you're listening to Physique Science Radio. Hey guys, you know me and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal... I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber and these are packed with 20 grams of high quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest Bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest Bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram at Quest Nutrition and YouTube.com slash Quest Nutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious. Hey guys, many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches. And certainly, there's more than enough of those to go around. But a lot of times people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of Pro Physique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends, and I can say with absolute certainty I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him, because I've done that. Paul Ravella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys. We're back on Physique Science Radio. Uh, and really, uh, we've only got a short bit left, but it stinks because I'm really – we may have to have Eric back on because this is a fascinating discussion. I really – I love this kind of stuff. This is what really gets my, uh, my gears going. And, um, you know, it's interesting because there's just – you know, I, I went into this this – kind of metabolic adaptation stuff and I I kind of dabbled in the, the, the research and was like, I wonder if I'm actually going to find anything just because I had observed so many things. And I remember when, reading that McLean paper 
and my eyes were so wide and I, I, the whole paper right now is covered in highlighter. Like there is not a piece that's not yellow. And um, <laughs> just thinking like, oh my God, this explains so much. Have you, did you have that like aha moment, Eric, when you're reading some of those papers? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've read a number of re- review papers. Um, you know, it's when, when you first are looking into a topic, you kind of tend to gravitate toward a meta-analysis or review paper. And I can't think of a single review paper that's more thorough, uh, more comprehensive, or more detailed than the McLean paper. Um, it, it's a really impressive piece of work. And um, yeah, it, it's one of those things that throughout writing um, my review paper, which had a slightly different focus, um, you know, I would I would refer back to that very constantly. The work of McLean and Delu uh, were really really formative in, in getting that paper completed. Oh, I, I just when I gave my metabolic uh, uh, adaptation videos, I just straight up said everything I'm telling you is from this paper. Mm-hmm. I'm right. ripping off this paper right now because it's that damn good. <laughs> and then also, I want to make sure I mention. Um, Dr. Liebel and uh, Rosenbaum at Columbia have done some really incredible work on the topic. Um, So, you know, with a few main sources, you know how it is, Lane, when you're writing a paper, you start following references and they kind of branch out like a tree. But, you know, those three sources were huge. Yep, absolutely. That's that's the way to do it. You just kind of go down further down the rabbit hole, you know. Exactly. Um, It's... Yeah, I mean, I start off all my speeches where I talk about reverse dieting or, or metabolic adaptation. I say, I say, how many? I'll say, show me a show of hands. How many people think we have a, a weight loss problem in this society? And everybody's hands shoot up. And I said, you're all wrong. You're wrong. Hundreds of millions of people lose weight every year. The the problem is they can't keep it off. So yeah. we 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 kind of have this, you know, yo-yo diet society, and we need to find a way to kind of break that cycle. Um, because actually the data shows that you're, the data shows that you're actually healthier if you never had dieted as opposed to yo-yoing. <laughs> and, uh, that is a very scary proposition for people. Um, so on that note, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, we, we don't mean to be too much of self promoters, uh, but Sohi and I have actually, uh, well, mostly Sohi, <laughs> actually almost all Sohi. Uh, but I, I'd like to think I played a little bit of role uh, in oh, yeah. the in the ebook that Sohi's bringing out. So Sohi, tell us about your ebook. Oh yeah, so I just finished up wrapping up the the content for an ebook on reverse dieting that pretty much goes into uh, why it's even worth considering um, uh, the the science, the physiology, the psychology, and then we go into what people tend to really care about is how to reverse diet and we we go into specific numbers and we use um I use examples with uh with a specific you know like let's say your intake is here then here's what you might want to do to reverse diet out of it and then um we put a bunch of uh different like case scenarios in and then there's a frequently asked questions page so really I tried to make it as comprehensive as possible for someone who um, maybe you know can't afford to hire a coach or or for whatever reason wants to do it on on his own um, yeah. this is kind of like a a DIY manual yeah it's over 20,000 yeah. words right uh, yes and yes and we have uh, it's we've got a lot of client testimonials and pictures as well so that will be very helpful I'm sure we've got you know hyper responders but we also got uh, what tends to be the norm is people who gain weight on reverse dieting. They gain a little bit of body fat. And it's really cool to see the before reverse dieting, end of reverse dieting, and then the end of dieting after reverse dieting, pictures and macros. That's, that's what I find really fascinating. Yeah, Eric. And that's, we we talked about earlier, like how I found that I got better and better the more times Mm -hmm. I kind of reverse dieted. And that's what we saw with the people who had gone through multiple cycles of it in the, in the ebook, in the, what you would find is, Yes, they might gain some body fat doing reverse dieting, but they would, after they did their next cut down, they would be leaner than the last time and on more calories than the last time they did it. Right. Now, it may not, like, I always give the example of Lori Piper. Um, she, uh, she I've, I've been with her for like four, year, four or five years now, and um, she still, to get her lean enough, she still has to get well under 100 grams of carbs. But when she started with me, she was like under 30 when, wow. she, like when she came to me after her last show with her, her previous uh, coach. 
And, uh, and so now like we can usually get her down uh, and lean enough, like on like 70 or 80, which, Hey, that's still pretty aggressive, but it's, she's leaner and she's be able to eat a little bit more calories. So like, you have to look at that as a win. It's not just, you know, everybody always, I always try to get people out of this. Like they always, I get these people to say, well, I'll do whatever it takes. And it's like, well, that mindset can get you in a lot of trouble if you're not yeah. willing to go slowly. You know, I always use the example of who, who usually acquires wealth over time. The people who go in and buy a bunch of like really volatile stocks and put all their eggs in one basket or the people who slowly invest in like steady mutual funds over time. It's right. the people who go slow. <laughs> right. So, and it's like you mentioned earlier, Lane, where it's, you know, it's not that reverse dieting is going to be absolute magic and dieting is never going to be hard again if you do it. But you have to look at what's the alternative here and what is the <laughs> absolute best approach, yeah. you know. And so I think it's great that you're putting out something where people can kind of get into doing it themselves and kind of working their way through it. Yeah, we and we, we wrestled with it because, you know, there's and the reverse dieting portion itself that, you know, it's just kind of our observations with clients. Obviously, that's not we want to see research on it come out because we, we'd love to know, you know, what, what they get right, uh, what they get wrong. But, um, you know, uh, I think that if, you know, science is so slow, people don't understand, like from inception to publication, you may talk, be talking about 10 years, you know what I mean? Um, or five to 10. And, and so if we have something that we feel can help people now, we feel kind of obligated to, to put that out there. Um, so, and so he is a great writer. It's, it's a great oh, read. Um, well, that's why, that's why I prefer to have you do it because I'm just not as good at it <laughs> and I don't like it. I know you actually enjoy writing, although I, I know it can still be a pain in the butt, but, um, so yeah, we'll obviously, uh, well, when, when that releases, we'll, we'll let you all know if you are interested in it, uh, how to find out more information. And uh, I think with that, we're going to we're going to wrap it up. Of course, we have to wrap it up with a, a plug for ourselves, you know, because we got to eat. But uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I've been reverse dieting, so my macros are higher. So now I have to eat more. It costs more money, you know, <laughs> uh, problems of being a macronator, you know. Um, well, but, I always wonder, I'm like, well, if you're, if you're eating 700 grams of carbs a day, how much is your grocery bill? Yeah. Yeah. You know what you find <laughs> is people that, that real quick, that's actually like one of the really big benefits of flexible dieting is I had, a, I had a guy, uh, Noah who was up to 700 grams of carbs in the off season. And, uh, he, he came, he, he, he emailed me one day. He's like, Lane, please don't add any more calories. I don't think I can take it. I was like, well, what's wrong? He's like, I'm so bloated. I, I just, I, I feel like crap all the time. Well, it wow. ends up all he was eating was quote unquote clean food. So he's eating just oatmeal oh and, and rice and uh, broccoli. So he was eating like 150 grams of fiber a day. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, do wow. me a favor. Go hurt. eat some pizza, eat some Pop-Tarts and uh, still get, you know, 60 grams of fiber a day, like a really good fiber intake. And uh, let me know how you feel in three days. He came back. He's like, "Oh my god, I feel amazing. I feel yeah. so much better, you know, because he was just so backed up, literally to his esophagus. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So that's why I tell people, like, look, flexible dieting is self-regulating, right? Because if you have more intake, you can afford to eat more. It's like having a making a million dollars. Can you afford to buy a fifty thousand dollar car? Yeah. If you make fifty thousand dollars, can you afford a fifty thousand dollar car? No. <laughs> so." Anyways, yeah, that's a it's a really it, good analogy. Yeah, I always, oh I, I always like uh, it's like a budget. So is this? Why will, will this be a Facebook status tomorrow? Because I know I, I said you know what it might be. Nice. Car is the fun, fun little treat. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I always tell people, hey, look, if you, if you, if you're on a hundred grams of carbs a day, should you spend seventy of those on a pop tart or two pop tarts? Probably not, because you're not going to be able to hit your micronutrient and fiber intake. You're not, you're not going to be able to take care of your other bills that are important, right? But if you're on 700 grams of carbs a day, can you fit that in? Yeah, absolutely. And you'll probably need to because otherwise you're going to be backed up as hell, you know, because you're eating so much fiber. So mm -hmm. um, anyways, I don't want to ramble on too much because we could get started on a whole other thing, right? So we could be yeah. here for another well, two hours. Well, we'll be back with – we'll have a whole other episode for that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, 
So Eric, um, I want to I want to give you a minute to if you want to say any thank yous or shout outs or anything. We've really enjoyed having you on. You're great, and congratulations on your proposal being accepted by the BioLane Foundation. We are we are just super excited. So on behalf of me, myself, and the board for the BioLane Foundation, thank you so much. Yeah, um, I don't want to drag on. I'll be quick here. Um, first of all, I want to thank you guys both for having me on. Um, I had a really great time. So. If you guys ever want to chat again, either on air or off, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, I did want to, um, you know, we always hear about in the the bodybuilding um, physique athlete world, people always talk about we need more of this research in bodybuilders. We need more re research that's relevant to bodybuilders. Um, so I think it's really terrific that you took the initiative to start out the start up the BioLane Foundation and. I know our lab group being the first recipient, um, we, we look at that as a huge responsibility on our end. So it's an honor to receive that grant. And, um, you know, we, we look at that as being funding that is from the physique world for the physique world. So um, that's a huge responsibility on us. And we, you know, we're going to approach that project with meticulous attention to detail. And, you know, we feel, we feel really responsible to deliver a really meaningful product for the people have contributed to that fund. So I just wanted to um, thank you for starting the fund and thank everyone who's contributed because we always hear people say we need this research done and finally people are taking the initiative to really make it happen. You're very welcome. I'm sure it's going to be great. And if you're interested in donating to the BioLane Foundation so you can fund more of this research that will benefit us all, you can go to my website and under the About section there's a tab for BioLane Foundation and you can go there to find out how you can contribute money. And 100% uh, and of funds are paid out. So I don't take a salary. My board doesn't take a salary. Nobody takes a salary. 100% of these funds get paid out to research. So uh, please go and check that out. And even if you just I, – I, I know we have – you know, oh, you know, thousands of listeners, even if everybody just gave $1, it would make a huge difference. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, we humbly request that you go and check that out. And uh, so I'm for Eric and Sohi, I'm your host, Lane Norton. And I want to thank you all for listening. And we're really excited to see what Eric comes up with in the future. Until next time, this is Physique Science Radio signing off.